Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels. This is John Benzik from VentureSuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you're in a sea of self-doubt. It's an exciting day because in this episode is our guest, Matthew Swanson. Matthew is the co-founder of Rethink Brands, based in Maryland. The company has recently launched Rethink Water, and in a very short period of time, it is sold in over 1,000 stores on the East Coast, and they have plans for explosive growth into 4,000 more stores, including the West Coast by the end of the summer. Rethink has disrupted the bottled water category by using a package that is made of mainly paper. It's 100% recyclable and is free of harmful BPAs, a truly unbottled option. Matthew and his co-founder Chris met in college and went on to work for some impressive companies, including Procter & Gamble, Google, and Body Armor. To learn more, check out drinkrethinkwater.com. Matthew, thank you for being here and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's great to, to be speaking with you. I'm excited. It is great to be talking with you. So Matthew, within this podcast, there are three segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics, which helps set the context about your company for our listeners. And the second part is what I call Tell Me How, where we'll get to the heart of the matter on issues that aspiring entrepreneurs want to know now to help move them forward. And the final part is the Let's Get Personal component, where we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business. Matthew, it's time to let her rip. Are you ready for the interview? I'm ready. Fantastic. Give me the basics. So Matthew, number one, as you heard, I provided an introduction about you and your company, but in your own words, describe your company, its products or the product scope and what makes it so unique among your customers. Yeah, certainly. So, so Rethink Brands is a mission inspired consumer products company that's really focused on creating products that are healthier for consumers, better for the environment, and then we socially give back to organizations that are in need. Um, I, I like to say that, that we have the mission of a nonprofit, but the hustle and drive of a for-profit. Um, the, the first product that, that we've launched is called Rethink Water, as you mentioned. Um, and Rethink Water is this mission-inspired, environmentally responsible water that's packaged in a really beautiful carton made of 70% paper. And, and ultimately, our goal with Rethink Water is to offer consumers an easy-to-drink-from carton water um, that is better for the environment and then also better for the consumer because plastic actually never touches the, the water that people are consuming. And our plans, though, for, for Rethink Brands is to, is to scale well beyond water. I always joke that I didn't leave Google to start a water company. I, 
I left Google to start a, a mission-inspired consumer products company. And our long-term vision for this brand is what if the water you drink gets recycled into the paper towels you use, which gets recycled into the diapers you put on your, your children. And it's, it's all under the same brand name of Rethink. How many retailer doors are you in now? Yeah, we're in we're in just over a thousand and expanding every single day. Um, we actually um, just set our first end caps in Target stores in the Mid Atlantic today, so it's a super exciting day for us. But we've got plans to to move into um, over five thousand stores by by the end of this calendar year. How many employees do you have? Uh, we have eight full time employees, and this summer we had eight interns. Um, so it was a packed house of of sixteen. Um, all in the mid-Atlantic right now and uh, just trying to, to spread our mission and, and to build this brand one carton at a time. So having a paper bottle, Matthew, how unique is that for a water company? You know, it's extremely unique um, when you think about the water category. So the water category is actually the fastest growing category within beverage. Um, and by 2017, bottled water is going to be bigger than carbonated sodas, which is crazy to think. Um, if you if you went back 20 years ago, uh, bottled water didn't even come close to being the size of of soda, and it's going to be larger than that. And um, cartoned water specifically is a tiny, tiny segment within the category, but growing extraordinarily fast. When I think about why consumers are picking water over carbonated soda, it's because of the the health benefits, and they want to start drinking and consuming things that are better for themselves and their families. These same exact people, though. Um, care about the environment. They care about they care about themselves. They care about the places that their their kids are going to grow up in. And we think it's an amazing opportunity and time to offer a product that's extraordinarily healthy for a consumer, but ultimately better for the environment than standard single-use plastic. And is the paper carton what makes your product the most unique, or is it the reverse osmosis technique? Yeah, that's a great question, and we get that we get that all the time. The, in my opinion. Water is water, and everyone's trying to innovate the water, but true innovation is, is finding something that's wrong in a category um, and making it better. And to me, water is water, so I don't want to innovate on the water. I wanted to innovate on the actual package. Um, our water is absolutely delicious. Plastic never touches it. It's BPA-free. It goes through this amazing filtration process, and it still has a perfect pH of 7.5, which is really important to consumers. Um, but the real innovation behind our product is the fact that the carton is made of 70% paper um, versus 100% plastic. So Matthew, regarding your product's uniqueness, that paper carton, did your original assumption about the product's uniqueness prove motivating to consumers, or did you discover a slightly different selling proposition after being in business for a while or getting customer feedback? Yeah, that's, that's, an, that's a really, really good question, and the answer is, Yes, our, our selling proposition and our brand positioning has changed uh, quite a bit since we launched. So the environmental benefit of our package being made of 70% paperboard is great. Um, but the uh, really, really unique thing about our package is that no light and no plastic ever touch the actual water. And it's a totally different drinking experience for a consumer. And actually, the taste of the water is a little bit different because you're not tasting the leaching from the plastic. So what we learned when we went to market was, yeah, people care about the environment for sure, but what people really loved was the fact that plastic never touched the water. So there was this amazing health benefit that, that consumers really care about. Um, and actually, a lot of our messaging now to consumers is leading with 
healthier for you and the environment versus just the plain message of healthier for the environment. Matthew, give us the genesis or the story of how you came up with the Rethink Water idea. Give us some details on that experience. Yeah, so I I started the company with my best friend from college, Chris O'Donovan. He and I met um, in Maryland at at Washington College uh, on the baseball field. We actually both played baseball. Um, And I was the best man in his wedding, and he'll be the best man in my wedding in, in October. And just you know, going off on a bit of a tangent, I think when starting a company, it's extraordinarily important to have a co-founder. I couldn't imagine going through the highs and going through the lows of doing this um, without a co-founder. I think it would be an extremely lonely and tough experience. So I'm super grateful to have a co-founder that I love like a brother. Um, so Chris and I, uh, after college, as you had mentioned, we went and, you know, he went and did, you know, food and beverage startups. And I went to a big company like Procter & Gamble. And in 2009, we actually had an idea for a, a totally different beverage um, that, thank God, we didn't launch because we would have failed. But when we were doing a ton of research, we kept running – this is the research on on how we should actually package our product. We kept running into all of these articles and all of these studies about the impact that plastic is having on the environment. Um, and this is back in, in 2009, and you know the water category was growing, but not nearly at the rate in which it's growing today. And I remember thinking, like, oh, we can make this amazing, innovative product, and then we can package it in something that's not plastic because of the environmental impact. And we had done research to figure out who's actually packaging in cartons. Um, And there was one brand in particular um, out of the entire bottled water category that was actually putting water into a carton. And to to us and to a lot of people that we spoke with, um, their execution of putting water into this carton wasn't the best. It was a tough package to drink out of. It was more like a milk carton. Um, the branding was a little bit off. Um, and, and I remember thinking, what an amazing idea, but um, not a great execution. And I just didn't think that they had legs to last any longer. And now fast forward from 2009 to 2014, um, that brand's still in business and doing quite well. And it's because consumers want a product like this. And even though it might not be the easiest to drink out of, and maybe the branding is a little bit off, um, they still wanted they still wanted it. So the question that we asked ourselves when we started this company was, how do we create a, a cartoned water that is just as easy to drink out of as a standard plastic bottle and the branding be something beautiful that people would want to be seen with? And that was the genesis of starting Rethink Water. So, Matthew, it really took some time or you evolved over time about launching a business with your friend. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he and I have both have this entrepreneurial spirit and this earning to do more. Um, and you know, we've always had these crazy ideas and, you know, we've always tried them and, um, it, all of our ideas have evolved pretty significantly. Um, and, and, and this is one that was just super dear to my heart and super dear, dear to his heart back in 2009. And in seeing the trends within the water category and what consumers are preferring, it was the perfect opportunity for us to, to launch this mission inspired company that we care so much about. Terrific. So Matthew, here we are in the Tell Me How segment of the podcast, where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs. Matthew, let's talk about raising capital. Did you raise capital to get the company going? Yeah, yes, we did. This is a extremely uh, capital-intensive business. It takes a lot of manpower 
power and buying inventory and lawyer fees. So we, we did raise capital. And some advice that I'd give to entrepreneurs is whatever whatever you think you need to raise, multiply it by three because it's extraordinarily expensive to, to start a consumer product or food and beverage company. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get connected with some some industry veterans within the beverage business and consumer products who have um, built brands, ultimately sold brands, and are now um, investors into into early stage consumer and food and beverage companies. And um, if I look at my board of advisors now, all of my board of advisors are people that actually invested in the company that have built brands. And and it's extraordinarily important to have value added investors when you're a really early stage consumer product company. How did you raise capital? Did you make a list of people to start with? When you called them, what did you say? Yeah, great. Another great question. Um, I, you know, I was when I when I put pen to paper and wrote this business plan, um, I, I got connected with somebody who had gone through the Glass L Vitamin Water Smart Water acquisition to Coke for four plus billion dollars. Um, so I, I remember I sent him my my pitch deck, and you know he 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 responded and said I'm going to pass this to a couple people and. You know, we'll I'll, I'll see if anybody's interested or you know get some feedback. And I still remember it was a it was a Tuesday night in March. I think it was March 2014. Um, I got a call at 11 o'clock at night from one of the guys that he had passed the deck to, who um, had you know 50 plus years of beverage experience and has gone through many different acquisitions. And he calls me and says, Matt, like we've never met before, but I just got past your your pitch deck, and I think this is an absolutely brilliant idea. Um, can you get on an airplane and come meet me? I want to, I want to talk through this more. And that was the, that was the launching point for us. I mean, we, we had a ton of self doubt going into this because it's just so hard to raise capital for, um, a business that, and a brand that essentially doesn't exist. And that was the leap of faith that he was taking in us that made us realize, Oh my gosh, we're really onto something. And it literally just snowballed from there. I mean, I always tell everyone like, once you can raise, you know, your first dollar, it's really easy to raise money after that. And we were fortunate enough to get an early investment to get the brand off the ground and have gone through um, two rounds of investment since. Matthew, do you think your experience at Google had an influence on you moving forward to launch Rethink? 100%. My, my, um, my experience at P&G calling on you know retailers all across the country, and then I had experience at Quirky, which was a startup in New York City, and we were an invention company. And then going to Google, a hundred percent. You know, I think that the experiences that I've had in my career um, is is essentially what has has helped us launch our company. Absolutely. When you were in the early stage of raising capital, were you reluctant to go to people, and how did you overcome that if you had that reluctance? Yeah, when you're when you're not taking institutional money, a lot of it is friends and family. And that's, you know, always a little bit scary because even if you don't have a personal connection to the person investing, you got connected through somebody you do have a personal connection to. And it's, um, you know, when somebody is willing to write you a check for tens of thousands of dollars to help, you know, get a brand off the ground, um, you definitely have, it's definitely a a vested interest in making sure that um, you're using the money that they've given you to the best of your ability so you can ultimately um, return their money times a lot more than what they gave you. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's always, uh, I, I never want to be too pushy with friends and family when it comes to investing. 
and I always tell people that are investing in our company, whatever money you're giving us, just pretend like you'll never see it again. Um, and if they're okay with that, then then I then I, I, I graciously accept their money. Sure. Matthew, it sounded like raising capital for Rethink went pretty smoothly. Did anything not go smoothly? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm painting a much better picture of, of the capital raise. It, I, I would say that our conversion rate on the amount of people I talked to versus that people invested was probably in the 15 to 20% range. Um, so I had a lot of investor calls and, you know, we were fortunate enough to put enough money together to, to make it, to make it go through. But I mean, there were a lot of no's and the no's are, are, are and no's for different reasons. No's because it's not within their investment strategy or no's because they just didn't see the value in what we were bringing from a, from a, from a branding standpoint. And, you know, you have to figure out a way to overcome those no's because a lot of times when you get those no's, you have a lot of self-doubt as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you have to have a very, very short-term memory when it comes to to raising money because it's not going to be 100% yeses. It never is. Was there a secret in your deck or in putting the deck together? Was there a secret to helping you raise the money? I think for me specifically and for our brand, it was the background that I had and that my co-founder Chris had um, with at retail. And the retail connections that we had, we we really launched fast and we got a lot of authorizations and a lot of distributors quickly. So for us, it was, you know, even before we had, we had a product to go to market, um, we had retail commitment and that was absolutely huge. If you can have some sort of revenue stream off the bat before you even actually launch in market um, in a way to generate revenue, for an investor, that's a, uh, okay, you know, this is this is a legitimate business that's going to be sold in stores. Matthew, you mentioned something a few minutes ago about when raising money, triple what you think you might need. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about why you say that? I actually have that same belief in launching a couple of different consumer product companies. But when I say that to people, it just seems to kind of go in one ear out the other Share with me more your thoughts on why to triple that capital raise. Yeah, when when you put together a pro forma um, and what you think you're going to generate from a revenue standpoint, what you think your expenses will will be, um, and when you, when you do that to to raise money, you know you tend to be extremely conservative and you don't think about all of the expenses that go into actually starting a business. Um, one of the things that, and I'm not a finance guy, I always joke that I'm a dumb, dumb sales guy and I've learned finance over the last, you know, 12 months since starting this company. Um, but when you're starting a consumer products company, you know, the terms that you have with distributor partners or retail partners are, are typically quite bad. They pay you, you're lucky if they pay with, pay you within 30 days and typically they pay you within 60 days. And then the terms that I have with my manufacturing partners are really bad for me as well where I have to a lot of times pay them a big percentage up front. So what I've learned um, from a from a investing standpoint or from, from accepting investment is that there's a lot of money that you have to put to get inventory. And for me, that was an expense that I just did not totally understand when it came to creating our pro forma. Uh, and then there's also all, all these other general business expenses like like legal fees and you know people fees and travel to retailers and um, slotting fees. So there's just all these different things that go into it. 
And you, you always want to be focused on building your business. You don't want to have to always be focused on raising money. Um, and early on for me, when we had first launched, you know, I had to quickly go into a second round of financing because our growth was so fast that we needed more money to help sustain the growth of our business. Let's talk about finding a manufacturer or a producer. A lot of entrepreneurs have questions about that. How did you go about producing or manufacturing the bottled water, or I should say the, the cartoned water? Yeah, that was that was a challenge for us as well because the carton water category is in its infancy stage, and we weren't in a position to start investing capital into building our own manufacturing facility. We had to rely on contract manufacturers, but there was really only a couple contract manufacturers in the entire country that could put um, really delicious, high-quality filtered drinking water into this easy-to-drink-out-of um, carton. So we were really limited in the partners, and we were lucky enough to um, partner with a few different contract manufacturers, um, one on the West Coast and one on the East Coast, um, to go do this. But now some of the work that I'm doing and my team is doing is we're going out to other contract manufacturers across the country and and trying to pitch them on investing into the technology to put water into a carton since this is such a fast-growing category. And are you doing that for primarily, at least in the short term, your benefit because you need that supply chain to be at a local basis or a more regional basis? Yeah, for yeah, that's that's definitely one reason. When when you're starting a when you're starting a consumer product or food and beverage company, um, there's a lot of cost savings when you can do localized production and then ship locally as well because shipping is just such an expensive cost. But the other thing for us is we we just see this category as growing so fast. And when Chris and I started the company, you know, we used to say if Coke and Pepsi were to come out with a product like ours and try to copy us, we've won. Because ultimately, when we go back to what our mission is, it's to offer consumers a product that's better for the environment than standard plastic bottles. So if there are more manufacturing facilities out there that can go do this, we believe that more people will enter into this category. That's a great point. When you were looking for a manufacturer, what did you do? Did you just start Googling? Yeah, yeah, we just Googled. Um, we Googled, and then we the first step for us was finding the carton manufacturer. And then the second step was finding the, the company or the contract manufacturer that could actually put the product into the carton. So it started with a good old Google and our carton manufacturer who are just amazing partners of ours, Tetra Pak. Um, I, I still remember Chris and I three-way calling their 1-800 number. Um, and that was our first connection with them. And like I said, I mean, this was probably two years ago. And now they're just, they're just great partners of ours. So were those partners the ones you talked to early on, were they reluctant in any way in talking with these two young guys that they don't know, that have no direct industry experience? And did you have to sell them in any way? 100% yes. I mean, they when you think about getting into this business, it's just dominated by the big guys. It's dominated by Nestle. It's dominated by Coke. It's dominated by Pepsi. Um, and when, you know, these, these two young guys with full-time jobs are calling, um, you know, it was, it was tough to, it was tough to get the level of service in which we thought we should, we should get, but it takes a lot of knocking on doors. It takes a lot of persistence. And I always tell everyone that we, within the beverage business, 
I don't think there's a team that hustles harder than the rethink team. And, um, that's what it took. It just took us really, really hustling, um, and working as hard as we possibly could to, to get this product to market. Why do you think you hustle so much? Why do you want it so bad? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're brand builders and, and I always say that hustling always beats money. And there's a lot of companies out there that raise a ton of money and think that they can invest in, you know, crazy marketing campaigns to go build a brand. But ultimately my, our, our, our team's experience is that if you can hustle and retail and you can outwork, um, your competitors, you will win bar none. And we're seeing that now. I mean, we, versus our competitors are extraordinarily under underfunded. But if you walk into the retailers that we're in, we have far more space um, as far as uh, the space that we deserve than our competitors. And it just goes, gets us back to the hustle that we have and, um, and, and how much we want to go build this brand and ultimately spread our mission. When you were working with manufacturers, were there any problems? Yes, there was a lot of problems. Um, one of the big problems was getting through state regulation um, and then balancing that with how we wanted our brand to look on shelf. Um, and it took a lot of back and forth. And ultimately, it actually took negotiation with 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 states. Um, when when you get manufactured in a state, you have to you have to abide by their regulation. And there were many, many conference calls with our manufacturing partners, um, the states in which we manufacture in our branding team, um, all trying to figure out how we abide by what they want, but then ultimately don't make it confusing for the consumer and still make them want to purchase it. And that sort of reflects back on us talking about raising capital and why these hidden things, these unexpected things, make the cost for starting a business like yours go way up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, every time we have to go and, you know, touch up artwork, um, it costs thousands of dollars. And even if it's a simple word needs to go away, it still costs a lot of money to go do that. So a lot of our, a lot of our money that we've spent from, from an unexpected expense standpoint um, has been with fees like lawyer fees and design fees, et cetera. Let's talk about selling the product to retailers. You talked a little bit about working with retailers and distributors. Early on, how did you learn to do that? I suppose you had some background in that with Procter & Gamble. What were those first approaches to retailers like? They were a learning experience for sure. I mean, I, I, I think one of the big benefits that Chris and I had in starting this company was we both spent our entire careers in, in calling on retailers and, and selling to retailers. So we had a leg up, but you know, you never really know what those hot buttons are for a retailer to, to, to peak their excitement. And I mean, the first couple of retail pitches were honestly quite, quite brutal. Um, and we learned through the process, but you know, we had such a leg up just given the experience that we've had and my advice to entrepreneurs who don't have retail experience, but have amazing food or beverage or consumer product ideas, um, is to get somebody on your board of advisors really, really fast that does have experience in retail because it will it will um, catapult your brand from a how you go to market standpoint how what your brand looks like it you really need to keep the retailer in mind and there's some amazing groups out there that help startups specifically at retail which is the the stable and Chad Hetherington's group um, so that would be one that I would I would absolutely recommend to people 
When I launched a couple of different companies and distributed through retailers, we always looked across the United States and tried to identify what we called key tailors, which were the most influential retailers in any category. And we would try to get into those. And then once we were in those, all the other retailers would follow suit. Do you do that type of strategy? Absolutely, yes. Um, that is that is so key to brand building is figuring out where your who shops and then ensuring that you get amazing distribution and build amazing in-store um, plans that, 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 that can really catapult the brand. So, and, and we've done that. I mean, some key par- partners for us are Target and Wegmans. And, um, you know, they're amazing retailers, extraordinarily influential within the retail community and uh, partners of ours who, 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 who we love. But what I will tell you, too, is that comes with challenges because what if that key tailor that you've created your brand for um, says no? And we've experienced that. And um, uh, Whole Foods, for instance, is a brand where we think our missions line up so well together, but we've had a really, really challenging time in doing business with Whole Foods. Um, and, you know, if, if, if they say no, you got to pivot and find other retail partners to, to, to go and become your key tailors. So when you went and approached these retailers for the first time, did you have pricing sheets? Did you have terms and conditions forms? Yeah, we had, we had it all. We had a pitch deck and, um, I, I do my pitch decks like the old school PNG way that PNG has been training their sales people for the last 150 years to to go do and the way that i position every single one of my pitch decks to retailers um, is summarizing the situation stating the idea telling them how it works reinforcing the key facts and then ultimately closing and i have found through my entire career that that is the best possible way that you can formulate any type of retail pitch deck um, but yeah, I mean, we would come with all the really, really key information and pricing was one of the, one of the big things that retailers care most about. Did you work with distributors right away when you started the company or did you evolve over time to work with them? Uh, we work with them right away in the, in the, in the beverage business. Um, it's what's called DSD distribution or direct store delivery. And really that's how you build a brand because the, the turns at retail are so great that you need to have a have a level of service at every door all the time, um, and we were fortunate enough to partner with one of the biggest beverage distributors on the East Coast that that has a DSD network from Philadelphia all the way down into Virginia. And again, that was another really really um, influential piece in in building our business so fast. What is the best way to work with distributors? Yeah, the the best way to work with distributors when you are a young brand. Um, is to offer them a lot of people support. The distributors will have a portfolio of products that is far greater than yours. And I mean, I think the number that they've given me is we're like, you know, 0.1% of their total business, but we take up a lot more time than 0.1% of their time. And one of the things that we've noticed is um, distributors are spread extremely thin because they're managing so many different brands and bringing them to so many different retailers that Offering them support beyond just selling rethink um, goes a long way with them. So wherever distributors need help, if it's filling trucks, if it's dropping product off that's not even their own product, if it's building displays for them, our team goes and does that. 
because ultimately when we just give them a little bit of that, they give us a lot back in helping us build our brand. Let's talk about pricing. How did you go about setting the price for the product and did you make any mistakes doing that? Yeah, pricing is tough when you're a startup because our scale obviously doesn't exist. So our class of goods are um, way higher than what our competitors are. But it's really, really important that you don't take your cost of goods today and price based on that because as the business scales, there's so many cost savings that you'll get from a supply chain standpoint that'll bring your costs down. So for us, we did a lot of um, competitive analysis within the market to understand price quarters by retail channel, um, which I think is extremely important. So you take your convenience stores, you take your mass grocery stores, um, you take your specialty stores, you take your club stores, and you figure out what competitor or what competitors do I want to be priced in the same corridor as, and that's how we've set our pricing. Um, We know over time our cost of goods are going to go down significantly and our gross margins are going to improve. And for us, it was really important that we didn't outprice ourselves based on our cost of goods today. And that is one mistake I've seen a ton of um, uh, startups do where they're priced way too high um, and they ultimately can never reach that scale because consumers just don't want to buy something that's 50% or 100% higher than the next competitor. Let's talk about marketing and more specifically creating awareness and demand for your product. Most startups have very small marketing budgets how are you creating consumer awareness and demand for your product? Yeah, it goes back to hustle, 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 and hard work. Um, we believe the best way to build a brand is to influence consumers at the point of purchase. It, it has nothing to do with amazing social media campaigns or billboards um, or TV commercials. It's all about getting the product into people's hands telling them about it, and then ultimately asking them to convert. Um, and that's what we do. We, we partner with amazing organizations where we do events and free samplings. Um, we actually demo water at retail. That's one of our biggest marketing strategies, and it's so inexpensive to do because all you have to do is just sit at a retailer in front of your shelf and tell people about the product that you have. Um, and that's been that's been amazingly successful for us. Another thing that, that we have done is – um, one of the first strategic hires that I made was I hired an upcycler. And this is really, really specific to rethink, but upcycling is essentially taking junk and turning it into like beautiful um, furniture. And I, I met I met Jason, who, who's now a full-time rethink employee, and Jason was doing this um, on the side. And I remember thinking to myself, what if we could hire Jason to take essentially trash and things that people throw away and turn them into beautiful display materials so we don't have to use those cheap corrugated cardboard displays that just get thrown out after or go buy plastic displays that you know end up in landfills. What if we can take this junk and turn them into amazing displays? And it's been absolutely transformational to our business because when you think about our product, which is environmentally friendly, and then you think about the displays that we have, which looks so unique at retail, it's an instant connection for a consumer. Their display material is made from junk that looks beautiful and their package is made of paper so um for us that that those are the two big ways is just really creating these amazing in-store retail experiences where we can touch consumers at the point of purchase and then ultimately inspire them in all the point of sale materials that we use nice work let's get personal
So Matthew, let's get personal on a few topics. It seems that 99 out of 100 people just talk about starting a business, but never start one. It's all show and no go. Starting a business is special and frankly, highly unusual. What motivates a guy like you, Matthew Swanson, to stop just talking about launching a business and actually go out and start a business? It's the entrepreneur versus the entrepreneur. Um, and my entire life, I was always the entrepreneur. I, I was always working for big companies, but I always wanted to, to work for a startup or I always wanted to uh, start my own company. It's just something that I've always wanted to do, but never uh, had the guts or the courage to go do. And what really transformed me in realizing that I could do it was the year I spent at Quirky, which was um, this amazing invention startup in New York City. And the person that really inspired me to do this was Ben Kaufman, who was the founder. Um, ben, um, you know, started Mophi at 18, didn't go to college, and he literally just hustled and figured it out. And I remember always thinking, um, like, if a guy like Ben can stretch himself um, in such a way to create these amazing companies, um, and his, you know, just being so fulfilled in doing it, it's just something that's inspired me. And I knew that that I would one day start a startup. And I just got so lucky enough to do it with one of my best friends. Did you grow up in an entrepreneurial household? No, not at all. Um, I, I, my dad has uh, worked in the consumer products business forever, working for large companies. Um, but no, never, never, uh, no entrepreneurs in my family. Are you a creator at heart? Do you think it was your destiny to start a business like Rethink? I think so. I I think so. I joke that when I was uh, when I was a kid playing video games, I used to always play the sports games and buy the latest and greatest. But I would actually never play the game. I would never actually play it. I would always simulate the games because I cared more about like building the team and building the financials behind the team and then simulating the season so I could get to the off season so I could keep trying to build it. Um, so I think from a very very young age, I always wanted to build a business. What have been your biggest joys in starting Rethink, or what are you most proud of? Two things. The the first is is the hiring of people. Um, it's been extremely awesome being able to hire um, very very hungry hustlers who can go help spread our mission. Um, when I think about our entire team, not one person on our team has done the job that they're in, and that's just the reality of a startup. I've never been the CEO of a company. Um, Chris has never run a sales team. Jason has never run a marketing team. And it's amazing to see how these people have been able to come together and stretch themselves. I, I talk a lot about runway and a person's runway and how long their runway is. And for my team, um, I see people's runways getting longer, which is, which has just been so, so cool. The other awesome thing for, for, for doing this was just the reaction that we've gotten from consumers and consumers saying, finally, someone came out with a product like this. Um, I don't drink out of plastic because it's bad for me, or I hate drinking plastic bottles because they don't get recycled and they end up in landfills, and I see them on the side of the street. So um, those are the two big ones. It's just being able to hire people and watch them grow and then ultimately give consumers a product that they just feel so passionately about. What have been your biggest frustrations in starting your company? 
the biggest frustration that I've had to date, and it's also the biggest disappointment, and I mentioned this before, uh, but we have amazing retail partners, like absolutely amazing retail partners that let us do some extraordinarily cool things at retail and spread our mission. But, you know, when, when I think about one of the key retailers um, being Whole Foods, um, that was one retailer that I was extraordinarily excited about building this business with. And we've had a really, really challenging time at doing business with them. Um, so that is, I tell everyone, that is the, the biggest disappointment, but also the biggest opportunity. Um, and I think one day we'll, we'll, we'll have a great business with Whole Foods, but it's been a challenge for us for sure. So I remember working with Whole Foods a little bit in my past, and we could get the product in there on a regional basis. Can you still do that? Or even a local basis? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. And we thought the same thing when, when going into do business with Whole Foods. But um, Whole Foods, which, which used to make a lot of decisions on a store basis or a regional basis, has really changed a lot. And they're, they're more um, uh, doing a lot of the decisions at the headquarter level now. Um, and, and Whole Foods is known to be the incubator for innovation, right? So when you think about things that are healthier, you're organic, um, vegan, non-GMO, or even products like ours, Whole Foods is the one that will take the chance and help build those brands. And they would do it on a local basis, which was amazing for young entrepreneurs. And um, Whole Foods has changed a lot in the last um, in the last two years, and they they don't do they don't do much of that anymore, which is really unfortunate for for young startups. Let's talk a little bit about self doubt. You alluded to it earlier. Many entrepreneurs, even seasoned ones and successful ones, experience self doubt as they go along their entrepreneurial journey. How much self doubt have you had, if any, and maybe what triggers it, and how have you dealt with it? I've had a ton of self-doubt. I don't think that you can go through an experience of starting a business without having self-doubt. Self-doubt. Um, and you know, I always joke like, you know, when I wake up at two in the morning, like, you know, in a cold sweat, thinking about something, that's it happens all the time, and it's super, super real. And I always try to have a very, very, very short-term memory because you get told no a lot. Um, investors tell you no. Retailers tell you no. People that you're trying to hire you tell you no. Distributors tell you no. And you just have to really get, be able to get over the no's super, super fast. I was at an industry event a couple, couple months ago, and the founder of Zico, um, Coconut Water, he gave some just amazing advice that, that I think about now whenever I have self-doubt, which is do good work today and good things will happen tomorrow. So whenever I'm thinking, whenever I'm having you know, these bad thoughts about our business or the future, I always think, me and my team, let's just do amazing things today because I know good things will happen tomorrow. And that's been just such a great way for me to, to get over that self-doubt. That's valuable advice. As you know, starting a business is very difficult. How has starting your own business changed you, Matthew, as a person, if at all? Yeah, it changes everything. It changes your obviously your professional life and then it also changes your personal life in a big way. Um, I remember when I was at, um, big companies, I would go on vacation and I would totally disconnect and I wouldn't even think about work and, you know, it was vacation time and that was it. But I always remember wishing I had a job where I didn't feel like I could disconnect because I was so important to the business that, you know, if Matt goes on vacation, like things stop and, you know, it's awesome when you go on vacation and you don't have to, you know, you don't have to really worry about what's going on. But ultimately, deep down inside, I always wish that I did care more or I 
wish that I was such an important part. So for me, and specifically on the personal side, you need a huge support system around you to go do this. It's, it's, it would be impossible if I didn't have the loving support of my family and my fiance um, to go and do this. I mean, it's typically taking huge pay cuts and um, it involves um, 24 hours, seven days a week of work. Um, so my, my life has changed for the better. Absolutely. I've become a much better business person and been able to manage my time a lot more, but you know, the people around you just need to be extremely supportive in order to make this thing, um, a success both on the professional side and the personal side. And related to that, what have you learned most about yourself? Yeah, I learned, I learned that I can do it. And, um, going back to self doubt, you know, I always, if I think about the last year and how far we've come, I always think like, man, I wish I could get to that point. And then you get to that point and you're like, like I'm at target, like, Oh my gosh, like we did it. And going also back to like this whole like runway thing. I, I always think about how long people's runways are and, 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 and how much better that they can get. And I've never run, I've never been the CEO of a company. I've never managed large teams before and I'm doing it. And when I look at my team, they're doing it as well. Um, so I think that, I think that's really cool. We're coming to the end of the podcast. I have two more questions for you, Matthew. Who has been most influential to you in your life, either professionally or personally? There's a lot of influential people. Um, I'll just give a personal, a personal one, which is my brother, Ryan. So Ryan's in his early thirties and, um, has developmental and mental disabilities. And, you know, when I think about a guy like Ryan, who everyone has told Ryan as well as our family that he just is never going to be able to do something. He'll never be able to walk or he'll never be able to talk or he won't live past a certain age. And Ryan has done all of those things. And when I, when I think about a person like Ryan who, you know, growing up didn't get to do the fun things that I got to do, like play sports um, or go to the prom and, 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 but he still lived this, he's still living this super fulfilled life. Um, he's been so inspirational. And when I think about starting a business like this, um, you know, it goes back to the entrepreneur versus the entrepreneur and, you know, Ryan will never be able to start a business like this, but I have the ability to go do it. So why not go and try? Um, and he, Ryan is, is definitely one of the bigger inspirations in my life. Matthew, did I miss any questions that you feel like you'd like to provide answers to? Or do you have any closing pieces of advice for our aspiring entrepreneur listeners? Yeah, no, I mean, just some just some advice is, you know, if you're sitting at home right now listening and you're thinking about, um, should I go and do it or shouldn't I go and do it? Um, my advice is just go do it. Um, because I had a lot of those moments in the last 10 years, if I should go do something or I shouldn't go do something. And you will be um, so fulfilled both personally and professionally if you just go and follow your dreams. Um, and that's what Chris and I have been able to do. And I would recommend it to anybody. Matthew, you've been an outstanding guest offering juicy tidbits of advice to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on your success on your courage for starting Rethink, and for sharing your experiences with us. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. 
Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business. 